Hi there, it's Cheryl Sitz welcoming you back to another episode of Exploring Possibilities. Today we're going to dive into dream work, lucid dreaming, astral travel, symbols, all that cool stuff. I'm excited about the show and I'm glad you're joining us again. And this one's on video. So if you'd like to come to youtube.com slash Cheryl Sitz, you can see our bright shining faces too. I have Lee Adams joining me. So check us out there. And we're on all the usual audio feeds. Let's see, where are we on? Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and others. The entire library is on journeyofpossibilities.com where you can catch every episode we've ever done. And show us a little love while you're there at journeyofpossibilities.com slash support. And joining us in just a moment is going to be Lee Adams. Hi, I'm Mario Rosales. You know, if you're a GoDaddy user, one of the things to keep in mind is that when you cancel that account within 90 days, you lose everything. Email, if you're doing hosting, email through them, your website. So here's a little tip. If you haven't done it already, go ahead and put everything into like a Word document and save it. And if you want to move to another provider, go ahead and give me a call and I can help you rebuild a whole nother website. I use WordPress and that one we can take it anywhere. You don't even have to use my hosting and we can help you out with everything there. Just let me know. Give me a call or contact me at MarioRosales.com. Lee Adams has been practicing, researching, and teaching lucid dreaming for over 20 years now. He has a bachelor's degree in psychology, and he's pursuing a PhD as well at Pacifica Graduate Institute. He runs the podcast Cosmic, what is it, Cosmic Echo? Cosmic Echo, yeah. Awesome. And he founded the <laughs> online community TaleEaters.com. I love that symbol, too. We got to talk about that. He joins us today from his hometown of Port Orchard, Washington. Hi, Lee. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for having me on the show. So glad you're with us. I'm still trying to get used to this video thing. I've hid behind <laughs> the microphone for years, and now it's like, okay, I'll turn on a camera. <laughs> yeah, it's a little strange. I like the personal touch, though. It's nice. Yeah, it's like having a conversation, especially in today's world when you can't really sit across from somebody so easily. <laughs> exactly. I think we're <laughs> all really we starving for touch of some sort, yeah. even if it's just face-to-face -face touch through this. It's better than nothing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to show a copy of your book here. I really enjoyed it. I read every book that I interview the author because I think it would be so disrespectful to have you on and have not even taken the time to read your book. But as I was just sharing with you, I have not actually lucid dreamed myself personally that I'm aware of. So I was like, well, I hope he doesn't feel insulted that I'm having him <laughs> on and I haven't actually done it. But there's so much in here for dreamers of all types. So I thought we could still have plenty to talk about. And I have a lot of friends that are into lucid dreaming. So I know they're really going to value what you share with us today. Right. Right. Yeah. So you started <laughs> lucid dreaming pretty young, didn't you? Yeah. Um, well, since I can, as far as I can remember, you know, my uh, dreams had pretty much contained some portion of lucidity in them. So, um, but I didn't really get into lucid dreamings until about 2006 when um, I had my first real sleep paralysis type experience. And that really opened the world of uh, the dream experience up for me. So um, that was pretty profound as well as uh, terrifying. So, um, but it redirected my focus back into dreams. And then uh, I continued studying dreams and studying, you know, uh, psychological aspects of dreams and then kind of went into it and getting my undergrad, uh, really focused into dream, uh, psychology, um, 
started to understand, you know, like Carl Jung's uh, symbology and stuff like that. So um, it was a good start. So, but um, yeah, lucid dreaming has been part of my life for a long time now and um, continues to be that way. So <laughs> it's been great. So I guess if we're talking about it, we should probably start with lucid dreaming is actually being aware that you're dreaming while you're dreaming, right? Is that the short definition or? Yeah, that's a good definition. Um, most people, they kind of imply that lucid dreaming has some type of control or anything like that in it. And I don't, um, my definition is pretty simple. It, uh, being lucid means being, having some type of awareness. So, um, there's different versions of awareness that you can have in dreams as well as waking life. But, uh, uh, to be lucid in a dream means that you have some type of awareness that you're actively dreaming at that moment. Uh, many people, when I tell them that definition, they realize they probably have had a lucid dream before where you're in a dream and suddenly you kind of realize that you may be dreaming or you see yourself from a different perspective. There's, and that you're, you know that this is some type of dream experience or some type of story being played out. So even in those experiences, even though most people would maybe not define that as a lucid dream, there is still some type of awareness involved in that. Um, and so um, that would be considered to me partially lucid dream too, you know, so it has some type of awareness. So, you know, that's uh, the very basics of it. Um, people on top of that, you know, they imply uh, different uh, awareness levels such as like out-of-body experiences and astral projection uh, as well as like uh, um, you know like the hypnogogia and hypnopompia and things like that uh, which are all involved into some portion of lucid dreaming as well as like sleep paralysis so um, that would be considered you know a lucid dream as well. So you do a great job in this book of walking us through all the steps of so you want a lucid dream here's Everything you need to know. I mean, you really give us everything we need to know from, from how to involve supplements to the imp how to become more lucid that we are dreaming, which is really meditation's kind of a gateway for that and, and awareness in our daily life. I like where you talk about reality checks. I, I flagged a, a spot here that I thought I would read to kind of give people a dive into what your book is like and, and what your view on dreaming is. So you stay here on getting past the simulation. When you're in a dream, it is as if you're in a simulation, much like a video game that is mimicking the reality you experience while awake. Most of the time, you aren't truly aware you're in a simulation. You're just passively experiencing the dream. In a lucid dream, you know you're in the simulation. Just as, if, just as with a video game, once you know you're working with the simulation, you can find the controls and learn how to operate them. With additional training and heightened awareness, you can eventually get past the simulation entirely and begin communicating directly with what Jung called the objective psyche. I love that definition and explanation. And give us a, a little hint in why in the world would I need to communicate with my objective psyche? <laughs> well, um, that's a good question. You know, in, in the beginning of the book, I talk about why. So um, I think why is a good place to start. You know, like why would anybody do anything at all? So that's a it's a very big question. And that's why I, I lead off the book with that. It could be its own book itself. I'm sure books are written on the subject of why we do the things we do, <laughs> um, you know, like what is free will and things like that. But, um, you know, so that I think the why is independent of each person. Some people feel drawn to kind of have to ask that question, you know, or to experience awareness in such ways that they 
normal, you know, quote unquote, normal people don't. And, um, and sometimes it happens to you regardless if you choose to or not. It's just is something that uh, presents itself, such as the case for me. Um, I had awareness in my dreams without really doing anything at all and without really trying. And so I spent most of my time in my life trying to understand the experience versus um, trying to get it. Um, and in doing so, that's where I've come up to realize there's techniques and things like that that can really assist people. And I've used those techniques as well because lucidity, just like in waking life, isn't a consistent thing. You have to work at it and sometimes it comes and it goes. So uh, we hit uh, people that are normal people that have lucid dreams typically hit like dry spells and things like that and then kind of have to reactivate the machine and start it up again, you know, the, and engage with the the unconscious uh, to try to uh, build the communication. So, um, but uh, why, you know, why would you want to do this? I think the benefits are tremendous in having uh, lucid dreams. Uh, working with fear is primarily one of the biggest advantages for me in my life. Uh, I had a lot of trauma early on in my life. I've also served in the military. So there's trauma involved in that. <laughs> as well as um, working with fear in those high intensity experiences, you know, that uh, I encountered with the military. So in encountering fearful experiences and dreams, I was able to kind of take that externally into my waking life as well, because dreams don't necessarily end when you wake up. So um, they bleed over and they also uh, influence our waking experiences. And so when you work with trauma and fear and things like that, and uh, you bring it into the waking experience, you can really kind of uh, have a different approach to those experiences when they, when you encounter them or uh, working with them from previous like PTSD and things like that. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of research showing that lucid dreams have a great advantage for people with PTSD uh, because it's a, you know, it's a safer environment than working with uh, PTSD and waking experiences. Yes. And also it can be very challenging in the sense that you can't really necessarily run away from it um, when you're in a dream. So the advantages of that is seen in psychedelics as well, where mm -hmm. somebody can kind of have a uh, experience. They, they can't necessarily stop that experience because that's our initial reaction is to kind of get away from that and not really encounter it. And so running through those experiences and facing it really can be healing. Um, and, and it can be traumatizing itself too, uh, if you're not really prepared for it mentally, you know, with psychedelics. Um, dreams, on the other hand, I, I don't necessarily think that they present us with things that we can't actually work through. It's presented in such a way that, um, when we acknowledge it and we actually uh, communicate with the dream, it's something that we can uh, work through. So um, I don't think there's any real evidence that says that we experienced a dream that is so overwhelming that it uh, it's not something that we can bear, you know, the weight right. of. So, um, so it's very healing in that sense. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, we live in a culture that's very like a type personality and wants to, uh, get something out of, you know, the dreams. And I would say that um, creativity can be found in dreams that can be expressed in waking life. Uh, lots of people 
throughout history have solved complex things that they've worked on through dreams. And in a lucid dream, you have the ability to um, use your imagination in ways that you typically wouldn't in, uh, in, in dream spaces as also in waking life. Um, I've experienced things in lucid dreams where I manifest complex archetype, uh, uh, not archetypes, but architecture um, and art that I've never imagined myself being capable of in waking life, or even mus making music in ways that I've never thought capable in waking life. And uh, bringing some of that into the waking world has really been eye-opening for me. It says, oh, you you are an artist, you know, you are capable of this. It may take you time to learn the skills to do this in waking reality, because <laughs> waking reality is a little bit more complex. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but you have the potential, you have this huge potential that you're 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 not limited to. You the limitation is what you think you can do. So um I'm not one to think that people are unlimited in all aspects that we definitely have limitations, you know, like uh, somebody missing a leg may not be able to run as well as somebody else and things like that without mm -hmm. assistance, things like that. But, um, but in the realm of the imagination, uh, the limit I think is pretty limitless. <laughs> so. Right. Well, and you kind of almost touched on something that I'm seeing as a recurring theme in, in almost every conversation, every book. It's like we're waking up to the power of our own intent, our own intention. So you talk about it in your book, too, that it's setting the intention that I'm going to have a lucid dream and doing the work to prepare the stage. But I'm reminded of an interview I did. I wish I could remember. Uh, Daniel Schmidt was his name, I think, who runs a meditation center in Canada. And he said, you know, for so long, I was like, I, I was sit down and I'm ready to meditate and I'm ready to hit that Zen space. And the minute you focus on the Zen space, you don't get there. Your, your mind starts. So it's almost like, how do I go from I'm going to have a lucid dream to actually getting out of my way to have that lucid dream or have that right. meditation go where I want it to go? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and, and going back to your original questions i kind of missed it um you know encountering like the higher self you know um a lot of lucid dreamers they kind of initially kind of want to control the dream experience they have this you know new ability and it's like what would you do if you were essentially god of your own world what would you try to do you know and so we tend to go through these phases where you know it's, it's initially it's this cool shock being experienced you're like wow i can create things you know and then you kind of go through this experience where you become almost like uh uh godlike but you uh control things in, in some sometimes horrific ways you know like taking mm -hmm. advantage of your dream characters and things like that and you kind of if you if you have the awareness you can reflect on it and see how uh, how damaging that could be. And then eventually, you know, and, and hopefully people get to the point where they go, okay, well, um, you know, and, oh, and sometimes the dreams start fighting back too. That's a, a common theme is eventually the dream will start uh, fighting back and it'll essentially put you in your place and say, <laughs> no, you are not, you are not the God of this world. And you may think that, but this is not what, the, that's not the case. And then um, you'll see, eventually that there's a better there seems to be a better way and it essentially is giving the control back to the dream and letting it show you you know where 
some of your blind spots, you know, and where it does where it's trying to teach you, where it's trying to lead you, and things like that. So um, that's kind of where I was trying to get to with the part of my book is essentially um, you can do all those things. I'm not saying that you shouldn't or that it's not part of the process, but there is a different aspect to dream uh, experiences where you give back the control. You know you have the capability of doing it. You decide not to and you give the control over and you contain the awareness as you do that so that you can have awareness and then experience something in a dream that most people never really get to. And that can be very profound and beautiful and also um, teach you things about yourself that you never thought were, were possible. Um, but in terms of like, getting to have lucid dream experiences um there's like very basic techniques to do that that people should really stick to because they work consistently for most people and um i touch on those in my book you know very clearly like or write write it out i also explore other techniques that um aren't as effective but may help some people and then also like the supplements on top of that where um, some people, you know, uh, I've used psychedelics in the past and, and, um, and so I never really, I, I, and throughout that time, I've kind of come to this point where I'm like, ah, you know, I don't really need those anymore, but I see the value in it. And some people, you know, uh, continually use them. And, and I always thought, well, maybe that's a bad thing, you know, um, this kind of like obsessive use of the psychedelic and, um, but then I, I realized, you know, some people are going through a, a process that's not the same as me. And I shouldn't really, you know, say, well, this is bad for you or this is good for you. It's mm -hmm. the experience, you know, that you're having. And for me, you know, sometimes uh, I needed that first experience with psychedelics to see a different uh, view of how things are, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, the shaman type aspect right. to reality and how different that is from other experiences I've had and in doing so that made me aware of things that I typically wouldn't be aware of and so um supplements you know can can give people sometimes that that nudge to have that first lucid dream experience um and then they can put in the hard work if they decide to to really kind of have a consistent experience I treat lucid dreams as a practice just like any other practice that takes hard work and is lifelong it's not something you just okay i'm going to do this for a month and i'm going to be an expert at it there's right. no such thing as the expert and um and even if you were having lucid dreams consistently every single night let's say um dreams are infinite and you the learning that you can get from dreams is infinite so it'll take you on infinite directions that you know you'll never really in, reach the end of so one of the things that you talked about in the book that I found was interesting, well, I found the whole book interesting, but <laughs> you were talking about how, why we keep, why we struggle to remember our dreams. And I hadn't really dove into that before. And I know that I really do struggle to remember my dreams. If I don't get it down right away, like it starts to slip away very quickly. And if I'm remembering right, you were explaining that it's the part of the mind that remembers dreams is is shut down when we're actually dreaming, and so there's not the the access to remember it, and that supplements can help with that or practice can. Please decipher that in English <laughs> for us. Well, memory is a uh, very complex, um, so there's no real like clear answer in the proper way to remember everything. Um, uh, I study memory as one of my 
main studies, I think, of trying to understand what memory is and how it works and operates. Like there, for instance, there's some people on this planet that literally remember every single experience they've ever had. Um, And uh, there's some interviews of those people and it's pretty amazing. They've done studies on them to essentially try to prove that these people are capable of doing this. And then no one knows why they could do that. You know, Um, you could try to explain it away with some chemical reaction in the brain or something like that, but it's just uh, no one knows. And I've written some of the top researchers, neurologists on memory, and they essentially said, uh, you know, I don't know. And they said, your guess is as good as mine of (laughs) how memory is working. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you look at chemicals in in the brain, they are involved in in memory as well as like, um, you know, deficiencies in those chemicals can definitely affect memory. And so um, there is a a chemical in the brain that generally is lower during during REM, and that's acetylcholine. And so improving acetylcholine can absolutely improve uh, your memory of the experience of dreams. Uh, It's been peer reviewed and shown to be very effective. Um, So galantamine is one of the most profound uh, supplements that I've found, as well as many people that I respect and research dreams and memory. Uh, Galantamine is one of the most effective. And there's oddly a a folklore about galantamine and um, referenced, uh, most likely referenced in the Odyssey as the, um, the plant that allowed uh, the swine, the people that were turned into swines to essentially remember who they were and then um, turn back into people uh, during the Odyssey. I forget the full story. I'm not very good with myths, but uh, and remembering the stories, but um, you can look that one up. But it's, it's uh, people believe that that is probably what plant they were referring to. And it's, uh, glontamine is also a powerful plant because it affects not only acetylcholine, but um, a thing called glutamate and um and nicotonic uh receptors in the brain in the system and it um those are have a great effect to create uh out-of-body experiences as well as like near-death experiences so um it's i consider galantamine as a psychedelic uh a, a dream psychedelic and it uh, should be very well uh respected when you utilize <laughs> it uh, i've had some pretty horrific dreams with galantamine and and um it's not super common for people to have that but it's common enough that i've read plenty of reports on it so just something to be cautious of and i do do cautious caution people on the use of supplements in in my book and trying to you know take a middle path with that (laughs) right uh, everything in moderation so um ease into but, it yeah. and yeah one at a time or what yeah take take good care with them respect them i like that yeah i feel the same about any plants as medicine is please be respectful in how you approach them because they can even the the slightest ones can be very powerful in before you know it yeah we trying to i mean you know, us you know westerners i guess and most of the world now tend to think of plants as just uh, chemicals you know right and and then we reduce it to specifically one chemical and so galantamine right it's a chemical it's extracted from many different plants and um and so you know that's what we think but what we don't realize is that 
these plants uh, most likely change the chemical structure, you know, the chemical experience that we're having in our brain and the vibration that, of our brain that it's beating at essentially, and uh, and also pressure and things like that in our brain and cerebral spinal fluid and blood, and all these things, and it creates this complex experience where we're kind of you know, new age terms resonating at a different frequency mm-hmm. and you encounter things that are on that frequency and that you typically would not. And I know your re- listeners probably will resonate with this. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> definitely. Um, so I've, you know, I, I was a, I would say materialist, uh, not too long ago, you know, where I would I was trying to prove dreams. I was trying to prove and look at the chemicals and things like that. And so if you read my book, you can find some of that in there because uh, these chemicals are real, you know, but what they're doing is uh, is affecting us in many layers, not just the physical layer Um, and it's changing our fields and things like that. So it's very important to be cautious of that. You know, Um, my Buddhist teacher from, uh, my undergrad school and good friend of mine, he told me, you know, uh, kiss, you know, keep it simple. Yes. You know, (laughs) and, and that's probably the best advice I ever got from anybody. And, um, and I've gone back to it over and over again in my life. It's like, I need to keep it simple and yes, I'm stupid. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, however smart I think I am. So, you know, to keep it simple is find a practice, you know, that works and keep it consistent and try not to add too many things into it, you know? Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm looking (laughs) at the clock and I'm just going to go ahead and tell listeners, we're going to go a little bit long today because we're already at 25 minutes and I've got at least two more topics I want to dive into (laughs) for a few minutes each. So just get comfortable in your seat because there's plenty of juicy stuff coming up here. Um, I think the next thing I want to touch on, because you've spoken to it a couple of times, the scary parts, right? Because there are, and I told you I had a dream where I died and that kind of shut me off from dreams for a while. And I'm just now getting back to where I'm comfortable interacting with my dreams again. Um, so it, our biggest fears can come up and it's happened to me also in working with entheogens and ceremony. So psychedelics, whatever. So it seems like whatever pathway we take into consciousness, into working with the unconscious and bringing it into consciousness that's the wall between, right, is this fear that's going to come up for all of us. And so speak a little bit to how you feel like working with your dreams has helped you to enter that realm and and conquer those fears. Like you mentioned, that's actually how you started going into the lucid dreaming was you had that paralyzation. So speak to some of the fears that have come up for you and how you feel like this has been a helpful path for you to overcome those. Yeah. Um, well, my first experience is sleep paralysis and sleep paralysis um, can be terrifying by itself, but usually associated with what they call hypnogogic hallucinations. And so, um, and so you're paralyzed, you can't move. And then you see things that typically should not be there. And uh, in many of these cases, these things attack you, you know, and try to fight you. And that can be terrifying because you, you can't fight back, you know, and, and also it's new and scary because you don't know what's going on. You think it's real. It's as real as you and I, if not more real. And so I've used psychedelics and I, I can understand the fear associated with those experiences. But, you know, typically when you're, with your using psychedelics, you can open your eyes and some of those uh, uh, visions can kind of bleed away. Um, and also the anxiety of psychedelics for me is kind of the the experience of the psychedelic itself 
versus like the hallucinations. And so that could be kind of a trauma associated with them. But in lucid dreams, you know, in sleep paralysis, it's very real. It, it, you cannot open your eyes uh, and get away from it. It's, it's there and it's as real as anything, if not more real. And the fear that you feel is uh, you know, chemically and physiologically is the most intense fear that you could possibly ever experience because the brain is hyperactive in the fear region, which is the amygdala. And it's, uh, it does that naturally for unknown reasons uh, every night for people. So um, it's something that happens when we go into REM. And um, so, but it, it, it's terrifying. And, but when you encounter that and you're able to uh, kind of allow that experience to happen versus kind of resist it and fight it, um, you learn something very profound about yourself in relationship to uh, being vulnerable to something that you don't understand fully and also um, being confident in yourself that you'll be okay and that um, nothing can eventually you know essentially destroy you so it creates a profound being you know in there uh, in the sense that if you can at least remember that and bring it into your waking life and and kind of into your future dreams that that confidence in yourself and the ability to pr protect yourself and that you you um you know you have that ability will change everything it'll it changes you down to the core um i'm not somebody that would come on your show and say i'm fearless you know uh i experience terror you know scary dreams just like everybody else um but through going through these experiences over and over and over again i learn uh something uh through that experience versus just something that you can read in a book right. and and i really start to develop a sense of self you know and a sense of uh, foundation in myself and the ability to encounter those things and not be be so fearful all the time and also uh you know a relationship with those things too and um but i i have uh I mean, I, I know that your dream is very traumatic for you, the dying dream, you know, but I've died so many times in my dreams. Yeah. It's ridiculous. You know, I've been shot in the head. I've had my head cut off, uh, things like that, you know, and I'm sure and those, these listeners and, are going really, <laughs> wow, I want a lucid dream. Huh? I want that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, not all, I'm not saying uh, most of those were not lucid, you know, either. Um, but uh, there's, it's, you know, it, Fear to me is something that's very profound and I've used it in my life. You know, it, it's, uh, I'm very fear, fear driven before. So um, it's a great training tool, you know, and it's a tool. And I think it's a, a friend, actually. Um, I think suffering is a friend and, and pain is a friend and all that stuff is a friend. That I agree. Once you build a relationship with it, it doesn't look the same. Uh, and, and you could stop listening to other people about how um, bad it is, you know. Yes. So, um, I want, I, for my dreams and my experience, I changed the dialogue from it being a negative to a positive and in doing so it gives me profound strength, you know? And, yeah. and so, um, but on the other side, I've had beautiful dreams, you know, that, that have taken me to places that I never possibly could imagine thinking that I could imagine, you know, yeah. and learn things from beings and spirits and all that stuff about myself and, and most of my dreams uh, today are teaching dreams where I encounter something else, you know, seemingly something else. And it's 
teaching me something about reality, about people, about my experience in the world. And I felt that it's leading to me something very positive, you know, and, but I, and for me, not everybody, I had to work through that fear. Um, you know, they call it the guardian of the threshold. If you, if you face the guardian and, and, mm-hmm. and it's trying to protect you in a sense that says, if you cannot overcome me, then you're not ready for this other stuff. Um, so turn away, you know, until you are. And some people encounter that guardian over and over and over again without, um, you know, wanting to. It's there. It's it's saying you need to work through this. You need to work through this experience so that you can you can continue forward because that's the path that you need to go on, mm-hmm. and you're ready for it. You just don't know it yet. And that was the case for me. So um, I didn't want to go through that experience, honestly, but I had no choice. And eventually I did. So (laughs) I'm forever grateful for that challenge. Yeah. I love that you shared that. Thank you so much. I hope that's an inspiration to others that are hearing this as well. We've, one of the other things that I thought was really important that you shared in the book is not having other people interpret our dreams for us. It's great to have someone as a sounding board, but like the, the significance of the symbolism in the dream that's really my unique interpretation, my unique, I apply symbols the way I see them or I can interpret them, that, that thread. Can you speak a little about that? Yeah. Uh, symbols are very complex uh, in my understanding of them <laughs> um, in the sense that they are real and that they have form to them. They have substance to them um, and they are universal and uh, symbols are everything. So everything is actually a symbol. Uh, we generally attribute symbols to things that we think are meaningful, right? Um, but that's not what a symbol is. Um, that's a symbol, right? So like the Ouroboros, which is a symbol that I really have enjoyed all my life and many people use it, is infinitely deep itself. Um, but so is the the stop sign, you know, and so is the tree that you see out of your house or your finger, you know, uh, these are all representations of things that are much greater than just the visual or the tactile touch of that thing. So it's symbolic of something else. It connects to something that's infinite. And so, um, but in that sense, in dreams, uh, dreams are the same way and dreams, uh, contain structure and they, uh, I describe it as kind of uh, wallpaper on structure and in the sense that the dream likes to pick up uh, images that you've seen throughout your life or you're experiencing in the day or themes and you know, sounds and music and everything like that and it collects all that data and it puts it over a structure and to convey a, a clear message to you the clearest message it can so um, you know uh, you may be watching something on TV and then you may dream about it and wake up and go, Oh, that, you know, I was dreaming about that, that TV. I don't know why that's stupid, you know, but really what it's doing is it's taking that data from your daytime and it's overlaying it into a theme and a story that has an important message to you. It's trying to communicate. So it's in a sense, uh, I use the experience of going to like another country and trying to, uh, communicate to um, somebody in another country that you want some uh, a s- certain food, you know, and so you point to an image that's kind of understood by everybody, you know, I want this, 
but if you you know try to say it you know you might not be successful and so the dream in a sense is trying to meet you more than halfway and say these are uh images that you know of and here's the message in it you know here here i'm trying to communicate to you you know hopefully you get it most of the time we don't so <laughs> it, then it changes it yeah. up sometimes sometimes it repeats that image <laughs> over and over so um but in that sense, you know, so dream dictionaries to me are kind of foolish in the sense that, you know, somebody can go in and be like, oh, well, this is what that means. And so that, you know, that's the end of it. But in a sense, uh, in, you know, without contradicting myself, if somebody was really into dream uh, dictionaries, you know, and they really kind of engaged with dream dictionaries and the dream may actually pull some of that content from a dream dictionary or the themes that people generally look at through dream dictionaries and then put it into the dream to convey a message to you. So if you are, you know, it, it's kind of like stick to what is good for you, you know, that you're common with you, that language that you use throughout your life, essentially your your symbols that you use, and then try to understand your dream from that perspective. So, but when other people, you know, are involved in two dreams, they tend to put their own, um, flare on the dream that doesn't necessarily mean anything to you so it's very uh for me it's inappropriate for somebody else to interpret somebody's dream for them they can assist them in the sense that like they can point out some maybe important themes that maybe you didn't think of or uh repeating patterns that maybe uh you don't see and also you know friends and family generally are in our lives and are part of those wallpaper that the dream is utilizing in order to convey a message. Uh, if you dream of a family member, it doesn't necessarily mean that your family member's doing that. It's taking the image and the idea of that person and overlaying it into the theme that is internal to you. And you also may project that into reality onto that person too. So this is very dynamic uh, language taking place and very complex. So it's an art more than a science in the sense that um, the more that you engage with it, the more that you try to understand the language of it, and the more that you, you know, in, write down and remember your dreams, the more you'll start getting the culture of the dream and building the language and speaking the language. And then the dream doesn't necessarily have to overlay as much data, you know, and wallpaper over the structure. You can actually start seeing the structure for what it is or at least closer <laughs> and then right. um, see what's going on. Uh, and that's the case for my dreams and other people that have done that. And uh, not all the time is the structure, you know, it's the structure itself is very down deep in there. You know, it's infinite itself. So you'll never really touch that structure, you know, but you'll get more and more uh, closer to it. And in the same same sense, it's like, Say you go to Japan and you're learning the language and all that. The culture is ever evolving. It's alive. It's a consciousness itself. And there's millions of people, you know, involved in that consciousness and you too in the world. So it's not like uh, you're ever going to just get it, you know, mm -hmm. but you can start speaking language and start understanding the people and start becoming part of that culture through engaging with it. So same thing with dreams. So I'm kind of getting this image of, my 
conscious and my unconscious trying to talk to each other. My unconscious keeps trying to get my conscious's attention and build a language that my conscious can understand to get my attention and get the messages that is that that sounds like what you're laying out to me in in greater detail is just this attempt at connection between the unconscious and the conscious and the journey that that evolves into like for me things like animal medicine and some of the things that I've picked up along the shamanic path have taken on meaning for me and I do notice that shows up in my dreams now so I can see how my unconscious is trying to communicate with me in the languages that I know what it wants me to look at next I do get a lot from my dreams I just haven't gone as far as lucidity with them I have lucid moments but I wouldn't say I've ever had like a full-on lucid dream but that that would be interesting. I love how you're describing the symbolism. So you mentioned the symbol of your tail eaters group. You want to, what is it called again? The uh, Ouroboros. Ouroboros. I actually had a vision of that <laughs> after I started reading your book and I'm like, okay, now that's coming into my awareness. So I was aware of it, but not much. So you want to talk to us a little bit about what that's come to mean for you that you created the group with that symbol? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, in the, the image itself actually came to me in a, a psychedelic experience itself. And um, I was being continually over and over eaten by a snake. And um, and the image of the snake, you know, you could say it popped up into my head because of uh, association to uh, ayahuasca and things like that. And so, um, but, you know, South American and, you know, anacondas and things like that and you know but in me experiencing that and uh drawing out that shape and trying to understand it more it's essentially opened up uh a greater reality into that symbol and so um i i really can't get into what it means because it doesn't mean one thing you know right it it means well it does mean one thing but it it's connected to that one thing and so are all other symbols so in a sense you know like anybody that's really studied anything any image whatsoever essentially it leads all back to the same thing so you could call it the source you call it god you call it the cosmos whatever you want but that's what it is so um the ouroboros for me has been kind of a journey a a point to, to look at and say, well, what's in there? You know, what's in the center of the circle? And uh, it's led me into dreams. It's led me into um, the connection to dreams, to reality and things like that. So um, I would say for, you know, listeners to take whatever symbol is meaningful to them, you know, that when they ponder about things, what, what image pops up in their mind? What is that thing that really... Um, is like gravity to them, you know, it's a magnetic pull to that image, really excites them and start understanding and trying to study that one thing, you know, and see where it takes them because it, 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 it won't just take them to what the meaning of it is because that's doesn't exist. So right. you'll, you'll find that it is uh, much more complex. What it does is it opens up a greater reality to you through studying one thing. So anybody that's studied anything to its greatest extent will see that it opens up, uh, it opens up the unknown, you know, and it also puts you in your place. You say, I actually don't really know anything. (laughs) The more you know, the less you really realize you know, you know, or the more you realize you don't know. So um, 
it's done that for me. And um, most of the people, you know, like I have a group and things like that, and people are resonated to that symbol had joined my group. And I'd say a good portion of those people have no concept of really what that symbol means to them. They haven't really explored symbols in the mm -hmm. sense that I've uh, really tried to, but hopefully, you know, that's their journey. It's not mine. So hopefully someday they may go down that rabbit hole and yeah. see you things differently. <laughs> well, and I see you as a big invitation to explore what we don't understand. Like, and for you, it's in the field through dreaming and astral travel and all of that. But um, at, at its core, it's just another pathway to getting to know ourselves better. And the journey inward is as infinite as the journey outward. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fun one for sure. We've been talking with Lee Adams again. This is his book on a visionary guide to lucid dreaming. Fabulous read. Lots of good tips in here. It's very well laid out. There's lots of like lists and bullet points and it's, it's broken down well by chapter so you can quickly find what you're what you're really struggling with at the moment, but I invite you to go from cover to cover and kind of go through the journey, especially if you really want to dive into lucid dreaming at a deeper level or to start with. I like to conclude my interviews by asking my guest if you have a parting thought for us, something you'd like to touch on further or something we might not have captured today. Yeah. Um, the one thing I'd say, you know, and something that I more recently under, uh, became to understand is that dreams don't necessarily stop when you wake up because uh, dreams are symbolic and so is reality. And in that sense, uh, you know, being lucid during waking reality is just as essential as being lucid in a dream. And, you know, and people would say that a, a reality is a dream. It is very much dreamlike. It's a great dream. And in that sense, reality is trying to communicate to you through the same structure and language that uh, um, a dreams are. And if you can engage with it to the level that I'm hoping people would, then you'll see things for what they are and that'll open up the unknown. So take that for what you would like. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you're doing and for helping us raise our awareness. I appreciate the time you spent with us today as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening wherever you're listening or watching. And we hope that you will join us again. And remember, all of our shows are at journeyofpossibilities.com. And we will see you in a couple of weeks again on Exploring Possibilities. Thank you so much.